This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. You might not figure that Baltimore, Maryland would be a hotbed for country music, but according to today's guest, there's more than meets the eye. There's just something about the simplicity of Southern culture that I've always loved. I say this all the time, but you can find a little country in every city, the same way you can find a little city in every country. Brittany Spencer moved from her native Baltimore to Nashville in 2013 and began busking downtown about six months later. As she honed her craft, she also toured as a backing vocalist for Carrie Underwood and other artists. But the spotlight turned Brittany's way in 2020 as she released her first EP called Compassion to rave reviews and country superstar Marin Morris in a CMA award acceptance speech credited Brittany and other black women in country music for their contributions to the genre. Since then, Brittany has made her Grand Ole Opry debut, collaborated with Marin's supergroup The High Women, and been named to CMT's Next Women of Country. On today's show, Brittany discusses the Southern cuisine at her family's Maryland restaurant, her hit single Sober and Skinny, and how she's adding her own story to the annals of country music. All that and more this week on Biscuits and Jam. Brittany Spencer, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. I've been looking forward to this all day. Well, me too. Listen, I usually start with a little background, but before we do anything else, I want to talk to you about your recent debut on the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. What were some of the highlights of that experience? Oh, my goodness. There's an energy there, and I've heard other artists say it, and you don't understand it really till you experience it. But when you walk in, there's just an energy there that's just like reminding you that it's so much bigger than the, than just you. There's so much history there. There are so many people that have come before us and really built this thing that we now know to be country music. It's really powerful. And I, I personally felt like I was just adding my little story to the, the much bigger grand scheme of country music. And I feel where country music has been, where it is right now. And it makes me that much more excited to be part of the future of country music. Mm. What a moment for you, and what a moment, really, for this whole country and for country music. But tell me, what is it like to walk out on that stage for the first time to make your Opry debut? You know, something someone told me right before I went and made my debut, they said, the audience is rooting for you. They are so excited, especially with like debuts, when someone comes there for the first time. And they just want to have a good time. They're just rooting for you. And I really felt that love when I went out on the stage. It was a pretty incredible night. It was actually the first night that the Opry was at full capacity since the pandemic started last year. So it was a pretty big night for me for multiple reasons, including that communal sigh of relief that you feel, or at least that I felt in the room when everyone was able to gather together that many people for the first time. And just stepping into that circle, man, is 
I, I wish I could put it into words. It, it just feels surreal. And like I said, I just feel like I'm just putting my story into a much bigger one. And I think that's just the beauty of country music. It was brilliant in every way. You know, I saw you post a picture on Instagram where you were looking at a photograph of Charlie Pride. Yeah. Who we lost last year. What did he mean to you as an artist? To me, just looking at the career and just the life of Charlie Pride, it means a lot to me because there have been times where I've just been discouraged. But I think that if you can think of some of your heroes and think, you know what, they did it, maybe I can too. We're watching this shift in country music where we're watching more people of color just get access and opportunity to be able to play. And I think about Charlie Pride, he was the only one for so long. And so to watch this time happen where there's so many people of color kind of influxing the whole industry, I honestly never knew if we would see this day. And so to be able to be alive during this time and to be doing music during this time, it's a beautiful thing. And sometimes I just wonder, like, I wonder what he would say because I never got a chance to meet him. Admittedly, I did watch a video with Jimmy Allen, I think maybe a day or so after Charlie had passed. And he was saying that he told Charlie about a lot of the different Black artists that were coming up. He mentioned some names. Just listening to Jimmy, it sounded like Charlie was just really excited. And that makes me just so warm inside because maybe this was his dream. Maybe he was hoping that he would be able to, to open the door for so many others to come behind him. And when I was looking at that photo of Charlie at the uh, Grand Ole Opry, I just remember thinking... Man, what would you say about all this happening right now? <laughs> would you love it? I mean, because so many of us are just standing on his shoulders. I think of that about Linda Martell, Charlie Pride. I think that way about Darius Rucker. Like, I'm I'm not saying like, you know, he's here, of course. I want to give him his flowers while he's here. You know, maybe, I don't know, by some, some weird stroke of luck, he's like, you know, Brittany, one day I, I, I heard this podcast you did and I just liked it. And I would be like, yeah, Darius, I love you, man. And it'd be great. Linda, too. You'll get your chance. <laughs> I hope so. I just want to give people their flowers. I'm really big on that. I just think it's so important to let people know that they've meant something to your life and to your journey and to your artistry. Because you never know if somebody feels unappreciated or overlooked or like the people that they've helped pave a way for. What if they never say thank you to you? I don't know what that feels like, but I imagine it might not feel good. So I don't know. I just like to give people their flowers because, you know, why not? So, Brittany, you're from Baltimore originally. I sure am. Which is a long way from Nashville. It is. Tell me a little bit about what that town means to you and what it was like growing up there. Yeah, I love Baltimore. It's home. It's such an eclectic town, you know? I hear so many people talk about their small town, and I'm like, man, Baltimore is not a small town. But I will tell you this, it is a small world, okay? Because even just the state of Maryland is so small in comparison to like where I am now, Tennessee. You know, if you drive for an hour, you're in another state. And, and you can drive in so many different directions and end up in a totally different state. And that doesn't happen very often here in Tennessee. So even if things feel like a small town, it feels like it's still connected to something bigger. In Baltimore, it feels like a small world. You know, I grew up in church just singing. 
but people would go to different churches and people that I never went to school with, never went to church with, I know them some way, somehow. I don't know how it happens, but it just does. We probably never even lived in the same neighborhood, but we had common interests and it took us to similar places. It's a really big hub for country music fans. Like people stop in Maryland Is and it in really? D.C. Yeah, people stop in Maryland and in D.C. all the time for shows. I mean, they can pack out a stadium out there. While it's not a lot of country music artists that come out of there, it's definitely a a really great place for fans. I love saying that. And then I love reading uh, Instagram and someone says, I heard you on this thing and you were talking about Baltimore. You're so right. People think that it's not country music fans. And so I'm grateful for that town. That's my place. That's my home. So I'm told that you grew up with a pretty strong connection to the restaurant business. Ooh, I don't know if it's a pretty strong connection to the restaurant business, but I've definitely been a hostess. I was a waitress, a terrible one. And my family, they own a restaurant called Granny's in Owings Mills, Maryland, which is Baltimore. It's like I would call that a pretty strong connection. <laughs> uh, well, you know, when you're a teenager and you're trying to figure out where to work, it, the restaurant industry is just kind of there, you know? <laughs> well, tell me about Granny's. Yeah, so it's a lot of like... Southern cuisine, because a lot of my family is from Southern Maryland. It's just fancy Southern food. That's all. It's like grits, but they've thickened it up some. And so it's like, it's bougie grits. (laughs) (laughs) And I love it. It's like bacon, but the thick cut one, you know, it's, (laughs) it's right up my alley. I love it. What were some of your other favorite things on the menu? A lot of their fish recipes are really good. I mean, because if you don't know Maryland, Maryland is really big on seafood. In Maryland, everything is just really fresh. And so it's a huge difference in the taste with like seafood. Just anything involving seafood there, grannies, I will just eat it all up. I love that place. And when you walk in, there's like a wall of people's grandmothers. And it's a lot of it is from people who've eaten at the restaurant. A lot of it is from people in my family, like my great grandmother that I never got a chance to meet because she passed before I was born. Her picture is up on the wall. And that's the only picture that we have of her. And so, you know, when I would go there, I haven't been there in a while because I've been in Tennessee. But when I would go, I would just look at the wall and just look at her picture, like we would talk about with Charlie and be like, "What? Do you, I wonder what you would think right now. And so it's definitely a hub for a lot of my family members to go to. So I wanted to ask you about the Southern Maryland thing and whether you grew up feeling a connection to the South, because, you know, Maryland is kind of split in a way, you mm-hmm. know, there's the Northern Maryland is really about the Northeast, but, yeah, you know, we write about Maryland all the time at Southern Living, mm-hmm. and I know there are a lot of people in the state that that kind of identify with Southern culture. I say this all the time, but you can find a little country in every city, the same way you can find a little city in every country. And so there are places where you can literally just drive to like 10, 15 minutes from my, my parents' house, and it looks like Tennessee or it looks like Virginia. And just this connection to Southern culture I don't know exactly how I got so drawn to it, but I went on this rabbit hole after I discovered the chicks at like 14, 15 years old. I just started listening to country radio and I started watching a lot of the country music videos that were on TV. And it it didn't feel like I was creating this, this whole new thing because my family has, for little small reasons, have called me country for a while. Like how I just like to walk walk barefoot around the house. It's so funny, my my stepmom... (laughs) She wasn't very subtle in telling me to put socks or slippers on. She used to get me like slippers for Christmas. And she'd be like, you're always so barefoot. I'm like, I love being barefoot. And so it's, 
<laughs> it's just little things like that or just like how I like to wear boots all year round. I, people thought I was crazy in Baltimore. And I was doing that before I even found out about the chicks and went on this rabbit trail. There's just something about the simplicity of Southern culture that I've always loved. But I appreciate the culture in which I was brought up in as well. So I really don't have much of an in-between for me. I either want to live in the city, like near the buildings and all the things, or I want to be in the woods. And I think that's really just kind of a testament to appreciating Southern culture that I always kind of felt drawn to, and also just the city life that I grew up in. So I've been told that your mom or your family kind of knew that you were going to be a country star one day. Is that true? (laughs) My mom, she believed in me long before I did. She would do things like get me a class ring in high school with like a cowboy hat on one side or cowboy boots on another side. She got my first pair of cowboy boots. I never really had like high self-esteem, especially as a kid for the times that I couldn't, you know, in my own self. She just believed and she just, my mom is a dreamer. And so she just felt like I would do really cool things that I'm doing right now. She saw it long before I did. And that's always meant a lot. My dad, he didn't think that I would actually do country music. He thought it was a phase because I grew up in church. No one in my family listened to country music until I started getting them onto it. I remember one time getting into my uh, my youngest sister's car and she was listening to Taylor Swift. I was like, you listen to country music? She was like, I love this album. And I'm like, all right, I didn't know. No one else in our family listened to it. But I didn't know that the more I was doing it, my family started really gravitating towards country. Like I said, my mom was the, really the first one to believe that I could actually do this thing. I wasn't the first one. She was. So, Brittany, you've talked a lot about growing up in the church. What was your relationship to the church like? And what was your kind of regular routine of going to church? Yeah, um, it's loud. (laughs) (laughs) And the best way is just loud. And it's just music everywhere. And I jokingly say to people that growing up in church, so much of it was like being rehearsed and, and, and being prepared. But so much of it is just improv. So you learn how to sing and you learn how to do it well and you learn how to read a room and you learn. I mean, I I honestly don't know that I ever sing the same song the same way every time I sing it. It's always different. Even if it's just the slightest change vocally, it's just something different every time. But that just comes from literally singing in church several times a week. I attribute so much to church because I think the best singers come from church and Just the idea of being able to just sing your tail off is so important to me. (laughs) And I, I really do attribute that to church. But also it teaches you to be grounded and it teaches you to be humble and it teaches you to, to be purposeful and intentional. I don't ever want to live my life for just me. I, I think even me doing music, I'm in service to art. I'm in service to someone, to something because I, I never wanted to live a life just for myself. And I think that being in such a communal thing teaches you to rely more on your purpose and lead from who you are and not just your ability and what you can do. So how did you go from listening to all this gospel in the church to discovering country music? My parents, they split when I was about five years old. And so my mom is listening to gospel. My dad is listening to R&B. At church, I'm singing gospel. At school, I'm singing opera. I'm also doing jazz competitions. And I'm also singing with groups around town. And we're just kind of singing a little bit of everything. And then I'm 
just randomly just with a friend named Keisha one day and she says you need to listen to this album and it's the chicks and she puts it in her car at church we had literally just come out of church and she's like you need to listen to the chicks and this is like the last place I would think I would discover country music but I did in Baltimore City and so then I'm now adding country music to my repertoire of things that are just hitting my ears all the time and I'm just I'm hearing all these different things at once and that was teenage Britney just hearing everything And so I would make little like mixtapes on my iPod and I would be having like, I don't know, I have Ray Charles and then Ella Fitzgerald and then Maria Callas, who's an opera singer. And then I'd have the chicks and I'd have Sarah Evans and Brad Paisley. And then I'd have Karen Clark Shear and the Clark sisters who are gospel groups and Yolanda Adams and Mary Mary and just all these different things. And that was my upbringing because I just had so many people around me, so many different kinds of people around me. So it was impossible to stay pigeonholed or pigeonheld, uh, whichever is the correct phrase, to <laughs> to one specific thing. Because I was in such a town where everyone was so eclectic and everyone had their own flavor. And it just, I don't know, it made this really dope melting pot. We'll continue with Brittany Spencer after the break. This episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living is presented by Boar's Head. Introducing Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Glazed Chicken, a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, this slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and we're talking with singer-songwriter Brittany Spencer. So then you make this journey to Nashville. I do. I made this trip eight years ago. (laughs) And so this is a pilgrimage that, you know, so many artists have taken trying to make it big in Nashville. What were some of the highs and lows of your journey? Man, there's so many highs. There's some lows, just like with anybody's journey. But my highs, I I moved here eight years ago, and I didn't play guitar yet, though I had a guitar. I had taken some lessons in school, but honestly, I never wanted to cut my nails, so I didn't learn much. I know it sounds so silly, but I had like long nails, and I was not ready to give them up. And uh, (laughs) But when I came to Nashville, I was like, you know what? I just, I can't bring these old habits. I really need to learn how to do this. So the first year here, I didn't sing anywhere. I taught myself how to play guitar. I started attending some songwriting workshops, like at the Blueberry, so that I could really hone my songwriting craft, uh, which I had started in Baltimore as a teenager as well. And then one day a friend tells me, you should go 
downtown and you should start busking. Because I was scared. Like, I didn't want to play anywhere. I was probably here in Nashville for like six months. And I was like, no, I don't want to sing anywhere for the first year. Like, I just want to chill out and just really get acclimated to the city. And I'm scared. Like, I think at one point I, I had taught myself how to play guitar, but I was always sitting down. So the idea of standing up and playing guitar was so terrifying to me. It sounds so silly to say out loud, but it's true. I was so scared that like I wouldn't be able to see things and I wouldn't be able to fill it out quite as well. And she's like, well, just go bust downtown. There's no pressure. There's not a show. You don't have to like plug in your guitar. You can do whatever you want. There's no time that you have to be there. There's no time you have to leave. Just do it. And I was like, you know what? Fine. And I did it. And I had so much fun. And I ended up busking downtown for like nearly a year. And so I guess in short, <laughs> after a long story, my highs would be that I learned how to lean into the things that would naturally just terrify me or make me really nervous. And now that's my most comfortable place. I love busking downtown. I love sitting on my living room couch and in my bed just writing songs. You know, I like going back to the start of it all because uh, I was afraid to play out. So only thing I did was play on my couch or on my bed. And now that's how I write songs. That's how I started writing my new song, Sober and Skinny. I was sitting on my bed with my guitar. I don't know. I just kind of aim to always feel that way, especially that really, really personal connection that you get to make with people. People would just walk and I would just want to see what song would make them stop. What song would make people want to listen to me play for a little bit. I learned that a lot of times people who would stick around to hear me sing Pistol Annie's and Johnny Cash, they also stuck around to hear me play Adele and Beyonce and Michael Jackson. And I thought, oh, everyone just likes good music. Cool. How about I just make songs and just have something for everybody, have a little something for everybody. So, Brittany, was there someone who really gave you a hand up at a critical moment in your career? Man, there have been so many people who've uplifted me. I was in the middle of releasing my first EP this past summer, and I was releasing each song just like one song at a time. And I've always done covers online of other songs. And this one particular time, it was a week before I released my single, Sorry's Don't Work No More. It was um, a week leading up to that. And I posted a cover of Crowded Table by The High Women. And they retweeted it and they invited me to come and sing with them. And then I ended up building these wonderful friendships with the women in the group. And they've lifted me up so much. And I've just, I've met so many artists. Ashley Monroe has been so encouraging it's just so many people along this road who have been so encouraging. I'm super grateful for them, truly. So, Brittany, you have a new single out that's called Sober and Skinny, which you mentioned. And it's about kind of a relationship between two people who are trying to overcome some challenges. What was the story behind that song? The story is I was sitting on my bed and I was kind of doing my weekly routine of just kind of getting some song starter ideas. Collaboration and writing with other people is really big here in Nashville. So I knew I had some writing sessions coming up with a few folks. And this was during the pandemic. Uh, it was all on Zoom. And I sat and I wrote the chorus for Sober and Skinny. And I wrote everything except one line. That part still hadn't been worked out. And I thought, you know what? This is kind of a quirky song. I don't know that anyone wants to write this with me, but uh, I'm just going to toss it out there anyway. And so later that week, I had a writing session with Nellie Joy and Jason Reeves. And I think that was the first one that I presented them with. And this was our first time meeting. 
And I pleaded for them and I was like, I have some other ideas too. You know, if you want to go a different direction, they're like, nope, this is the one. I'm like, you sure? This is a really quirky song. I still don't even know what it's about. (laughs) And they're like, no, let's do it. And so we wrote it. I think we wrote it in like under two hours. I remember just feeling so proud about that song. And when it was time to decide if I was going to record something, I remember just immediately being like, yep, that's the one. I want to do Sober and Skinny. I want to record that right away. And I'm so proud of what we were able to do with that song. I'm proud of the video that we made for this song. It was the first video I'd ever made. This whole process has been wonderful. And we we did this thing together. And I'm I'm so proud of it. Even if nobody listens to this song or likes it, I'm just like, man, I've had so much fun with this song. I have no regrets. <laughs> Well, I'd love to listen to it. Would you mind singing a little bit of it? Yeah. In a perfect world, you get sober, I get skinny. We live off of more than pennies. Writing checks that we can cash. Keeping all our promises. We got faith, we got each other. We grow up and we get better. Things need fixing, we got plenty. When you get sober, I'll get skinny. It's such a great song, and it seems just so real and true and honest. Thank you. I just wanted to kind of talk about a relationship where two folks are having a real conversation where the other wants you know, the other to change something about themselves. Those are two ideas on such wide spectrums. When you talk about being sober, is it that you need one less drink You know, when you do drink, or is it that you need rehab? When you're talking about weight, is it that your doctor is saying, hey, you know, this is impacting your health or do you just want to feel different? I don't consider this song a message song. Like there's not something that I want people to gain from it, which I'm actually really happy about that. And I'm I'm really happy that the song really doesn't resolve. And most of the song is literally about this imaginary world. The first two courses are saying in a perfect world. It's not even reality. I just wanted to tell the story of two folks who have to, in a very real way, address the changes they want the other person to make and how projecting just isn't helpful. Focusing on someone else's issues without ever considering that maybe you have some, it's just not helpful. I don't know. I'm one of those songwriters where I'm still, honestly, after the song is written, I'm still trying to figure out what it's about sometimes. And <laughs> that that's just, that's my thing. I just like to tell stories. There's not always a moral. There's not always a, a deeply rooted meaning. There's Sometimes you just write stuff and you don't even know why yet. Well, I want to ask you about another song called Compassion. Yeah. Which has been streamed millions of times on Spotify and elsewhere. And I guess you could say it's a song about maybe putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah. And it starts out with this line... If a half-empty stomach makes you hangry, imagine life for people on the street. Can you tell me about what you were responding to when you wrote that song and and the kind of feedback that you've gotten on it? Yeah. I started writing it while I was on the plane coming back from the UK. I was singing background vocals on the tour for this band. And for whatever reason, I just couldn't go to sleep. So I just started writing this song. It's something about getting outside of your world like your neighborhood, your city, your town, your state, and in this case, I guess your country, that makes you consider your worldview and how you see it and how you think the world sees you. And I just remember thinking, there's so many shoes that I've never worn. 
there are shoes that I wear that other folks will never be able to put on. Some people wouldn't even survive some of the things that the, the some of the shoes that I've had to wear. And I wouldn't survive some of the shoes other people have had to wear some of their experiences. I just thought about that quite a bit. And I just thought, man, what if we were all just a little more compassionate and just recognized that everybody's going through something? And I just wanted to find a way in this song to take really everyday routine things and kind of put them in a broader context. You know, how many times have we been hungry? Be like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry right now. I can't even focus. I can't even think, you know what? I can't work right now. I'm going to stop and take a lunch break. If we have a hard time focusing because we're hungry because we missed breakfast, imagine someone who hasn't had food for several days and we want them to be in the best mood and to be the most caring. We just have these expectations. It's like, dude, they haven't eaten in days. Like you're grouchy when you've missed a meal. And the, the whole first verse does that. If, if a half-empty stomach makes you hangry, imagine life for people in the street. If a neighbor's untamed yard can drive you crazy, imagine seeing bombs break through their concrete. That's, for me, that's talking about war. For me, it was just kind of getting out of my comfort zone and getting out of my home to consider that there's a different way of life for so many other people in their home. Um, and in their experiences and, and in their circumstances, I'm usually shocked every time this song does something else. I'm shocked because I honestly thought this would be the song that would make Nashville hate me. <laughs> I did. I really did. As a matter of fact, I submitted this song for a songwriting competition here in Nashville several years ago. And I think I got a five or six out of 10. Like they didn't <laughs> like it. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm definitely putting this song out. And <laughs> If a half-empty stomach makes you hangry Imagine life for people on the street If a neighbor's untamed yard can drive you crazy Imagine seeing bombs break through the concrete Image is something of importance But only when you've got anything well, Brittany, what are you most looking forward to for the rest of 2021? I am looking forward to seeing people at shows. I am so, so looking forward to more music. I'm looking forward to seeing what the world looks like now that it's opening back up after a year and a half of the world being shut down. I'm looking forward to seeing what we all look like. You know, how do you, how do we navigate this thing, you know, called life? after having a year and a half apart. Well, and maybe a few more Grand Ole Opry performances. Oh, yeah. I would love that. It's such a great place to perform, honestly. I just, in rehearsal, I didn't step into the circle because you rehearse on the stage. And I asked them to move the mic out of the circle because I didn't want to step into it until I finally got in front of people. And uh, I don't know, maybe that was a metaphor. I'm ready to get in front of people. Let's put the mic in the circle. Come on, let's put the mic on the stage. Let's go to all the places where they will have us and let's do this thing because music is wonderful and it's been so missed. Well, we look forward to hearing a lot more from you and uh, Brittany Spencer. It's been a great pleasure to have you on Biscuits and Jam. Thank you so, so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Brittany Spencer. You can listen to her EP called Compassion as well as her latest single, Sober and Skinny, wherever you get digital music. Join me next week when we talk with Hillary Scott from Lady A about their new album and much more. 
I don't think you can feel full joy and appreciation for something unless you've felt the opposite. And also at the same time, like how someone else chooses to see you or define you does not change how worthy and valuable you are to the world and that you belong just for being here, you know, and that you deserve to be loved for just existing. And I think that was a huge lesson. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama, and this podcast was produced and edited in Nashville, Tennessee. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or telling your friends about the program. You can find us online at southernliving.com and subscribe to our print publication by searching for Southern Living at www.magazine.store. Biscuits and Jam is produced by Heather Morgan Schott, Chrissy Tiglius, and me, Sid Evans, for Southern Living. Thanks also to Ann Kane, Jim Hankey, Daniel Roth, Matt Sav, Erica Wong, and Rachel King at Pod People. We'll see you back here next week for more Biscuits and Jam. Biscuits and Jam.